Hello, and welcome to episode 22 of the Venture Games Podcast. I'm Chris Quaidu, and today I'm excited to introduce my next guest, Timu Toka, CEO and co-founder at Ready Player Me. What's going on, Timu? Hey, hey, Chris. Nice to see you, and, and great to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining me. So to get started, for those who are less familiar with you and what you're up to at Ready Player Me, can you just dive into your professional background? Yeah, I mean, Ready Player Me is a cross-game avatar platform for the metaverse. So we give users a portable avatar you can use across many different virtual worlds. And we do that because, you know, we see that the metaverse is not one game or one app. It's a network of thousands of different places. And it doesn't really make sense for end users to create a new avatar representation of themselves for, for each world. And from a developer's perspective, we give game developers or virtual world builders um, an avatar system. So they don't have to invent an avatar system themselves and spend you know, 12 months or six months on, on doing that. And we work with like now 1,300 companies <laughs> at uh, using our avatars. Uh, and our goal is to basically become like a default avatar system uh, for, for virtual worlds. Yeah, and then before that, just a little bit of background, you know, I, I'm a gamer, of course, uh, started playing RuneScape uh, pretty when I was young, and uh, my first business was selling RuneScape gold to other kids in school, uh, so that was my first kind of intro to the virtual worlds, and then, uh, yeah, and then, then in school, we started messing around with, with 3D scanning, 3D printing, and stuff like that, and that led to, um, sorry, both 3D, which is kind of the uh, the same company actually but we had a different name before mm-hmm. so we built hardware based scanners and, and and stuff like that for years scanned tens of thousands of people um then spent like two years building custom building outer systems for enterprise customers like tencent huawei htc vodafone wargaming and many others and that's how we really got the experience of building outer systems and really understood kind of what it takes to build a great outer system um, that developers love and then that eventually led to building Ready Player Me, uh, which is kind of from a developer's perspective, it's a very kind of simple outer system that you can integrate um, quickly into a product. Um, and then we realized we can you know, build a platform around that and, and make that kind of an outer standard. And then through that, create real interoperability of avatars. Got it. So um, just following up on the physical hardware piece so a lot of people that have known you for a while love to mention this like big egg-shaped machine that you would uh, showcase at some uh some uh, physical events back in the day when we used to have those and so can you just talk about sort of the transformation of the company from you know you have this large clunky machine obviously that is not a scalable business you know and then the transformation (laughs) to today where it's like actually you know scanning people's faces and then making digital representations of themselves yeah when we started the company it was around the time when Oculus was was acquired by Facebook, and, and we realized, you know, VR is probably going to be a thing, and, and VR is going to be social. So what we kind of believed is that everybody needs an avatar, and like back then, it was quite hard to solve the problem uh, with just software, and like to have like a smartphone scanning app. That's what was the first thing we tried to build. But then we were like, okay, let's build like a portable scanner, scan a bunch of people and get, create a huge, huge database and then figure out how to basically make that, um, you know, a software tool. Um, and that's what we did. So we had like this like egg shaped <laughs> scanners. I really loved what they looked like, you know, and then we scanned tens of thousands of people with, with them. And that led to us having the, the largest kind of proprietary database of face scans that we know of. And then we use that database to build a, a deep learning solution that takes a single photo and predicts kind of face shapes and 
And that was kind of the, the first business, like building kind of the custom outer systems around that SDK was basically um, the first kind of real business. But yeah, also from hardware. Got it. Okay. And then you mentioned you have more than 1300 partners. I think every time I have spoken to you over the past several months, you know, that number has gotten larger. So one, what are some examples of just some of the partners that are using Ready Player Me for their avatar (laughs) systems? And how have you been able to grow this community so quickly? Yeah, so for some partners, you know, there's like VR and and the virtual worlds, like VR chat, some new space, kind of crypto Mm -hmm. metaverse, Mona, virtual social gallery and stuff like that. Then in education, we have like House of Math, you know, teaching kids math basically online with avatars. Then there's all kinds of like productivity software, vSpatial and Meeting VR and, and social apps like LMK. So like it's kind of all over the place. Um, and it's, of course, like mostly driven by just inbound um, because we're solving kind of the, the hard problem of building an outer system in a very easy way. So it can integrate really plenty in a few days in most cases and and solve the problem of you know having an outer system which takes a long a long time so it's, it's just that we save we, we we solve a very clear and uh, real problem for for a lot of developers around the world and that's how you know and then last year we went from like 24 companies using our outer system to a thousand if you, yeah, if you do the math this uh, this is uh, generally added 300 more and that's been yeah, just like uh, driven by, by inbound and by people just like kind of getting value from the tool. And of course, it's hard to like support all this kind of stuff and getting them integrated, getting them launched. There's still a lot of things to solve. But yeah, that's been the case. But that's, that's been in, in good timing. <laughs> you know, we were uh, way too early with avatars for, for um, <laughs> way too many years. <laughs> but now, you know, that background gave us um, a unique understanding of what it takes to build an outer right. system and then the market just happened at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to, you know, to your point, you know, especially within the last uh, couple of years, um, really one, one to two years, you know, avatars have been getting a ton of interest and investment, mm-hmm. right? So there have been a number of large rounds announced, you know, of course you guys just raised uh, a $13 million series A recently. And so just generally as a concept, why is digital identity so important like in in the metaverse um and why do you think avatars are getting so much attention lately yeah you know i mean avatar is like your your representation in the virtual world right so it's like you know if you think of the most important building blocks for a virtual world or metaverse they have to be right up there so it's just like what you represent yourself as in the virtual world so that's why you know, <laughs> people realize it's a massive opportunity to if you if you kind of own that part or provide that part, and uh, and also like for for us, the avatar is the most logical, interoperable part of the metaverse. It's like you have an avatar in every game, in every virtual world. You need to have it to make sense that the avatar travels. I think that that's what makes people people excited as well. And I think it's also because uh, a large part of the kind of metaverse economy is around the avatar and avatar representation you know buying stuff for your avatar to show your express your identity and then like show your status and and so forth uh it's, it's such an important piece of of, of the of the whole thing mm-hmm. and you know different avatar companies have taken different approaches right so some have started out by you know targeting celebrities and celebrity partnerships you know others have focused on 
you know, making it so that people can turn themselves into something crazy, you know, whether it's an animal or an alien. And Mm -hmm. I think some of the thought around at least this latter point was, you know, people want to go into these metaverses to escape reality. So why would you want to be yourself in this virtual world, right? But you've actually gone the opposite direction, right? You've said, okay, people want to represent themselves in the virtual world. And so Mm -hmm. I guess, why do you think that makes more sense? Yeah, so I guess like two, there are two parts to that. One is mm-hmm. like kind of how, what is the approach of different outdoor companies to solve that problem? You know, we are very developer focused. You know, if you want to be a default outdoor system for the metaverse, it means that every developer or many developers use your avatar system mm-hmm. instead of, you know, someone else's or, or building their own. So that is the most important thing you have to focus on as an outdoor company, if you ask me, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what we have more than a thousand companies to use our outdoor system and our competitors combined how about like one <laughs> or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> so like, uh, I think that's the most important thing. And how we see our outdoor system and our future is like, we're kind of like rails for avatar. We see other avatars living on, on their very premium ecosystem as well. So mm-hmm. our avatars are kind of seed the marketplace and the, and, the, and, the, um, and the platform right now. And they're definitely like, you know, we're creating humanoid avatars. You can create it from a selfie. And, and that's definitely, I think, the most underserved part mm-hmm. of avatars. And that's why we, we went with that. But I think there'll be other ways people want to represent themselves as animals, as, you know, uh, fantasy creatures, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that's cool. Um, something you said that I don't fully agree with, actually, sure. is you said people go to the metaverse to escape, escape real life. And mm-hmm. um, so I think uh, at least the way I see it is like, that's how, why people kind of play kind of the classic games mm-hmm. maybe, but now kind of the metaverse is more like an extension of social networks or, or internet or, or, or something like that. So it's, it's more like a place where you go to meet new people maybe, but also communicate with the people you already know and, and like, uh, you know, hang out with friends and, kill dragons or, or something mm-hmm. like that so so it's less of an escape and more often a new way to communicate and that's i think that's what makes people also excited about the metaverse and that's definitely what, what makes me excited about the metaverse um and it's a very yeah it's a crazy word metaverse <laughs> yeah so actually you know follow, following up on that um you, you know so it's funny you know and i've said this multiple times but i i think metaverse is probably the buzzword of uh of last year 2021 yeah um you know could be again in 2022 even over things like nfts and other things like that you know all of which we will discuss but and you know frankly i think i've had more people request that i have more guests around the metaverse and nfts than like anything else uh in recent months um so you know just taking a step back what does the word metaverse mean to you you know it means a lot of things to a lot of different people um but how do you think about it yeah i think in many aspects the metaverse already exists Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of people that use virtual worlds and games today so when some people are like will the metaverse even happen Mm -hmm. you know uh, it's like yeah well i mean the, the market is kind of it's a giant gigantic market on its own like virtual worlds games Mm -hmm. and so forth so that's that's that but um i think what makes the metaverse a metaverse um and not the kind of gaming world we have today uh, is interoperability and more connected and more kind of unified experiences so you have to feel that 
you are kind of visiting one kind of big virtual world that is somehow connected with each other and not like, uh, you know, a thousand different apps uh, mm-hmm. or a thousand different, you know, like virtual experiences that you have to download and whatever. So like, so I think that's what's, miss- what's missing. And then we obviously believe in that because we're building our company around mm-hmm. that. And then, like, you know, connecting worlds to uh, unifying the avatar uh, layer and the, and the economy around that perhaps. And, and we think that's, that's what makes a metaverse. So a metaverse is a network of, of kind of connected virtual worlds. Mm-hmm. And I think some people who are more skeptical or sort of bearish, mm-hmm. frankly, on the whole metaverse investing thesis might argue yeah. that like, hey, we've had things like Second Life, you know, even, you know, The Sims and, you know, Club Penguin and even RuneScape and those sorts of things, right? So, you know, someone might say, hey, like, aren't those metaverses, what is different now? Um, what to you is sort of like the big difference that separates, you know, today's metaverse uh, thesis that's getting all this hype, you know, versus these sort of virtual worlds that people have been living in and, and spending time in, you know, for, for many years now? Yeah, I mean, first, like, I think uh, people just put the name metaverse on it, and it's like they're investing in gaming, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, like, uh, you know, when we, we raised our, like, previous rounds, people were like, yeah, we don't do gaming. And, and like, I think it's clear that people spend more time in games. It's clear, it's clear the gaming market is, is uh, you know, growing rapidly. So when you make metaverse uh, investments and actually make gaming investments, that might not be a bad idea, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> So regardless of if the, you know, like whatever we imagine the metaverse to be uh, will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess what's different right now in gaming or, or whatever uh, that should make it the metaverse is like just the, the, the philosophy is, is changing. So the philosophy that comes from the blockchain games and, and blockchain kind of crypto industry in general, which is kind of the more open and connected philosophy uh, seems to be moving into the gaming industry as well definitely mm-hmm. to blockchain games and then and all that stuff of course which which is a big trend in the industry so so i think with that um come also like more um uh, open worlds open games mm-hmm. more interoperability people are willing to at least experiment with it uh, and i think that's uh, interesting you know that that's kind of like what's different um compared to you know just just the gaming market basically mm-hmm. but i think what what people are yeah, ultimately doing when they invest in the metaverse is like they're investing in like uh, virtual worlds and games and, and, and you know, all the stuff that is proven to be successful already, mm-hmm. you know. So it's not like um, a wild new market. <laughs> um, okay, and, you know, you made a comment that, you know, some folks would say that they don't invest in gaming companies. You don't consider Ready Player Me a gaming company, though, right? No. No, but but other people might mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> I mean, might have right now. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to find someone that doesn't want to invest in the in the metaverse. Right, right. It's it's funny, you know, because when we you and I first started talking, I don't think you referred to it as metaverse company, but certainly no. outside folks did not as frequently refer to it as the metaverse company. But now, you know, if folks like look up the recent coverage around your recent fundraise. Almost mm-hmm. every single article, you know, says Ready yeah. Player Me, you know, building avatars for the metaverse. So it's just funny, yeah. you know, how much uh, that has sort of changed over the last, you know, year or so. And like, you know, just from a, from a company's perspective, whatever makes it, like, wh- however you can express or like mm-hmm. communicate what you do uh, in the best way. I mean, 
the easiest way possible. That's that's mm-hmm. what you go with. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're cross game announcers for the metaverse. <laughs> but um, you know, a few years ago, we would have been for virtual worlds or, or games and apps or right, something right. like that. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you are a gamer. What are some of the games yep. that you're playing today? Yeah, I mean, I don't actually play too much these days because mm-hmm. uh, you know things things have been quite crazy. We do play CS:GO sometimes with the mm-hmm. team. Or some like Roblox games as well, some Fortnite. But but yeah, I, I don't, I just don't have time to play games uh, at the moment. Yeah, it makes sense. I didn't touch on this earlier, um, but where mm-hmm. does the name of your company actually come from? Yeah, Ready Play Me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was around when the movie was launched. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pre Ready Play Me, and we were thinking about doing like a marketing campaign like with avatars mm-hmm. during the launch of the movie and then uh, our cto reiner came up with the name of ready per me mm-hmm. and we bought the domain and it was like okay <laughs> let's like ride in the wave of the movie and like do some like uh you know something fun uh and we didn't end up doing anything <laughs> but then we got the name and and then we were when we were building the platform we were like well actually, that's a cool name and it shows back before the metaverse was a thing, actually, when we chose the name, like two mm-hmm. one and a half, two years ago, then um, yeah, we it's just kind of that, that's where it's going. You know, we're yeah. focused on what is today for developers, and it solves a problem, and it's an outer system that is valuable today. But like the, the vision is obviously to be like uh, it's, it's bigger. It's kind of like connecting worlds and then so forth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, following up on that, you know, a lot of the hype around this metaverse is because of that sort of like you know science fiction dream. Of, yeah. you know like portrayed in, in ready player me i'm sorry in ready player one yeah. um and you know in the book snow crash is you know is, is famously very frequently referenced mm-hmm. and you know there's some i would argue pretty outlandish estimates of the size of this market you know it could be trillions of dollars or even a quadrillion dollars <laughs> you know just ridiculous numbers <laughs> for the opportunity but do you see the world going in this direction where it's going to be like truly completely immersive like almost fantasy um metaverse experiences and then tying into that how much of a role do you think virtual reality is going to play you know i think a couple years ago when vr was a little bit hotter as far as you know just something that people talked about i think Mm -hmm. a lot more people thought that is where the world was going and Mm -hmm. frankly like kind of feared it i think there are sort of different schools of thought out there now and so you know what are your thoughts on that but what we believe in is that people spend more time in virtual worlds every year. Mm-hmm. And we believe, you know, when hardware to experience virtual worlds improve uh, VR, AR, and, and or other, other types of hardware, then that just like accelerates that even further. Uh, but we're not making a bet on, you know, any of those things mm-hmm. in particular. We just believe that people spend more time in virtual worlds. I would want you know, they already play one world to never happen, <laughs> you know, yeah. it looks like a really, really bad, bad world to live in. So, <laughs> so I hope that doesn't happen. And, but yeah, I, I think people will, will visit, you know, more virtual worlds and more 3D spaces and there'll be more kind of a virtual world type experiences that are more for a general audience and uh, the kind of like a normal social media user. Mm-hmm. And I hope those worlds will, will be more connected. But yeah, like we can create authentic kind of uh, meetings between people in virtual spaces through VR and AR, for example. I mean, 
that must work right if the mm-hmm. hardware is good enough like that, that should that should be a pretty good use case so i think that will be more of that long term but we still don't have good enough for hardware now last year we bought a vr headset for every employee uh for christmas and tried to have meetings in vr <laughs> no <laughs> well it, you can do it sometimes yeah right you can do it sometimes it's really fun to do like team hangouts and and then kind of like you know play around a little bit but mm-hmm. just for a replacement for replacement for zoom uh it's not like fully there yet but there's mm-hmm. great work being done on this stuff so let's see uh, yeah i think all these technologies will just increase it will accelerate the adoption of virtual worlds for us we don't really have to make a bet on right. any you know particular one of them yeah it's it's tough you know so when i first used a vr headset you know i thought it was like amazing actually like i i was i was shocked at how um immersive it feels even though mm-hmm. you know it's pretty clear the technology still has a little ways to go you know it's not perfect and the you know the quality isn't isn't perfect but it's it's quite it's quite immersive it is. And so i actually bought uh one of the headsets not too long ago and when i first bought it you know i used it quite a bit and now i don't really use it that much and i, I know that's actually yeah. been a lot of people's experiences so what do you think will drive wider adoption of uh, VR headsets? Mm-hmm. I mean, better hardware from a company that people want to buy products from, <laughs> like Apple. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think everybody, everyone in the industry is waiting for Apple to come up mm-hmm. with something and, and like set the standard. If it will happen anytime soon, not sure. Uh, you know, everybody kind of knows they're working on something, but mm-hmm. let's see. Um, yeah, I mean... It, there's a lot of fun things to do in VR, but it's somehow, uh, again, then again, I don't play games right now as mm-hmm. well that much. So I'm not sure if like I'm a good <laughs> user myself to evaluate, but uh, it's definitely getting a lot better with every generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the hard hardware gets better. You know, Quest 2s are used a lot more than Quest 1s. The numbers of that they're selling are, are quite impressive and it obviously brings more and better content also. And if you have friends that are playing VR, you know, in VR, you can you can jump in with them. So, I mean, I think the, the numbers we've seen recently actually have been very quite positive. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then related to uh, digital identity and representing yourself, you know, another large piece of identity is just fashion, right? And so we've mm-hmm. seen a lot of large fashion brands try to make some sort of play, you know, in this whole metaverse space. Yeah. Um, I know you you guys have a few fashion houses as partners as well. And, and you know, we, we saw obviously um, Nike's acquisition of, of Artifact. Artifact is a partner of yours as well. Yeah. And so one, you know, just what are your thoughts on what fashion is going to look like in the metaverse going forward? Mm-hmm. And how has it influenced uh, your company and, and how you're building it? Yeah. I hope it's going to be crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess like what the fashion brands are, are seeing is, you know, that, that the metaverse economy and the gaming economy already today is massive. People mm-hmm. are buying skins, which is essentially fashion, mm-hmm. and they're paying a lot of money for it. And it's software and like good margins, and it's great. And they have a brand they work built in, the, in real life. So it makes sense to leverage that in the virtual world as well. But at the same time, they don't have a good understanding of like, what does that mean and like how to get there and like tech and everything around that why um you know we get a lot of inbound from all kinds of fashion brands is mm-hmm. our avatars are used in you know more than a thousand games now so you integrate your your fashion into 
with one one application or one avatar, ready Pemi avatar, mm -hmm. and then your fraction becomes usable across all these worlds. You know, we're building like monetization tools for developers. So if you're a brand, you can come come to Ready Pemi and you can have your stuff literally sold in all these like different storefronts that exist, um, you know, across across many different apps. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what, what we want to be for fashion brands, kind of like access to the metaverse um, and, and one place they can go to to get a lot of exposure to virtual worlds. I think they will play uh, a role in the metaverse fashion, mm -hmm. like real real fashion brands, because they ha they're desirable as, as brands. Their, their stuff is, um, people pay a lot of money for them in real world. So why wouldn't they in the, in the virtual world as well? Mm -hmm. But it will take you know, years before they figure out like how those things work and how that really becomes like a business as usual. Uh, right now it's like everyone's experimenting, trying to learn, uh, which is good to see. But yeah, to for that to become like a normal part of their business, it will take time. And then of course there are uh, metaverse native fashion brands like Artifacts mm -hmm. that are absolutely killing it and they will, you know, continue killing it. <laughs> so, and there'll be many more built that are like native. I think like what's kind of missing from this whole thing right now is that there's a lot of kind of virtual fashion houses that create very cool looking assets, but none of them are actually usable in games. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they're, they're integrated with Decentraland uh, or Sandbox and create and like, custom create kind of like assets for them as well. If you buy their NFT, but it's like quite limited and that's ultimately, you know, that also like limits the, the value of those assets and the early adopters of uh, NFTs like just buy the stuff because they speculate or they just like buy because they want and whatever. But for that to become like um, a really big market, like you can't sell virtual fashion that is not usable in games. And that's why, you know, we, we partner up with, with a bunch of them and, and try to kind of help them get to the metaverse and then give the, the assets real utility while, you know, they can still focus on being creative and, and creating like the, the fashion. And, and then we, we, we focus on the technical aspects of getting the stuff used in games. Mm -hmm. And so, so you mentioned NFTs, you know, second to the metaverse last year, NFTs were probably one of the runners up for, for sort of buzzword yeah. of the year. And so how do NFTs tie into Ready Player Me specifically? Yeah, so first, like we are a mainstream platform, so we're for we're for everyone. And so with like with NFTs, a lot of these collections and stuff, they create like an exclusive community. Mm -hmm. Like the price gets crazy, only a few people can access it. So that's not our goal. Our goal is that the, the you know the avatars are always going to be free. The outer tools are always going to be free to start, at least for for developers. Uh, and that that that's that's that. But then NFTs. So NFTs are obviously a great way. To for us to monetize probably. So we're going mm -hmm. to make a bet on that. And we have a bunch of stuff coming up with NFTs. We're building uh, some NFT drops ourselves. So we are launching a drop for CryptoPunks owners. It could go be live already when <laughs> this, this, this yeah. goes out. <laughs> so if you have a CryptoPunk, you can create like a 3D version of a punk that becomes your metaverse avatar. And then it travels through different games through our network. And it gives like your, your punk a new dimension and a way to use it in games, basically. So we do stuff like that ourselves. And then we partner up with NFT projects, NFT uh, creators mm -hmm. to integrate their assets with the, our avatars to make them usable in games. And then basically we take a revenue share from that and we share it up with the games that, that we work with. So an example is a job we did with Deadmau5 at the end of last year. There's like Deadmau5 heads that live mm -hmm. on our avatars, 5,000 
555 of them. <laughs> and then you can use them in actual games uh, in our network if you own one in your wallet. So that's kind of like how we integrate. Uh, so you just connect it with your, with your wallet and we check if you have any very primary compatible NFTs and we enable it in your avatar and, use it, and it works across the network. Got it. And, you know, one like type of NFT that has been pretty hot lately is the the so-called PFP or profile mm -hmm. picture, right? So it's a way for people to represent themselves, uh, to kind of yeah. show off the NFTs they own, flex, etc. Um, yeah. And I've actually seen a couple of people using Ready Player Me avatars as their profile pictures, but I'm assuming they're not NFTs currently, right? No, not currently, but I've, I've seen many people use Ready Player Me. Yeah, so pictures. that was my, my follow-up is, do you plan to sort of like push more in this direction? You're making an NFT PFP Ready Player Me. It's like a poem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that sort of a, on the roadmap? Yeah. So we, we might, sure. <laughs> we, we, we might make the avatar mm -hmm. uh, like renders you create yourself, which is yeah. kind of a profile picture. We make, might just make them mintable and maybe give you the mm -hmm. avatar as well with that, like the three assets and stuff. We haven't fully decided on that yet, but it's possible, but it will be just an experiment to see, you know, what people are going to do. And then as a way for you to get a, like a verified mm -hmm. profile picture with a cool avatar you created yourself. And, and the goal wouldn't be like, you know, speculation. It would be like, you actually own this asset forever mm -hmm. and, and you can do whatever you want with it. And, it's and of course, if, if you use your very premium out as, as your profile picture, then like, we, we like that. You know, right. It's great. It's kind of your, right. your like public identity. And then we can use the same avatar in a video call or a game, of course, then that's cool. That's, that's what we want. And I think that's what people want as well. That's where we're building it. And then you mentioned, you know, the whole ownership side of things. And, you know, we've seen, you know, Board Ape Yacht Club is one example of an NFT where, where folks own their intellectual property. You know, another large avatar company recently announced that they are allowing their, uh, you know, creators to own their intellectual property. And so one, I guess for Ready Player Me, do folks own their, their intellectual property? That's one. Uh, and then two, like, why is ownership so uh, important? So, by the way, I bought two board apes at a combined uh, of 1.7 ETH. Um, <laughs> Congratulations. Like, yeah, no, wait, wait for it. And I sold two of them for 5.5 ETH. Oh, that's painful. <laughs> that's painful. So, like, whenever I think or hear about four apes i'm like i'm really it's really painful yeah it gets more painful over time it's like it's worse yeah <laughs> Before, i think as of the time of recording it's definitely north of 100 ETH uh, right now yeah it's so. 110 i think yeah and I, there have been several times i've i've thought about re-entering <laughs> but no no it's yeah it's like crazy yeah so i mean i think when you make something in nft then the, the point is ownership so if mm -hmm. you don't give like rights for the owner to do whatever they want with the NFT, then like, what's the point of basically having mm -hmm. it? Like, it's like easy to trade, but there's just the asset that still is like very limited. I think it makes sense for, for people, NFT owners to like, um, have the rights to do whatever they want with the assets. And that obviously, yeah, that's, doesn't scale to everything you mm -hmm. can make into an NFT, but, but uh, it'll be, it'll be good. And it's important because then that creates, uh, you know, composability you can you can take the nfts that that you own or or that some project has created and you can build something on top of that you can mm -hmm. build a um a game using you know board ape your club uh pfps or you can generate the 3d version of them 
and build the game. And that just makes the whole like kind of original project even better. So if someone buys a Ready Player Me NFT, then of course we expect you use it on, in our network. But if there's other ways you can use it, then like that's actually good for us probably, mm-hmm. you know, that's still like so new and so undiscovered that it's, uh, it's hard to like exactly see where it's going, but, mm-hmm. but it feels like, yeah, it feels like it's good. Uh, and, and it feels like it's built a bigger economy. Uh, you know, it's an open, open kind of economy for everyone involved. And that just creates a bigger pie. And, and, and there's like more, more stuff you can do. Okay. So, yeah. you know, you've mentioned this word interoperability throughout. Yeah. Uh, interoperability is a big concept. It's one of the reasons why people are so excited about NFTs and the metaverse. There's also a lot of controversy. You know, some people don't think, you know, some people think this is going to play out one way or or another. So first of all, just to set the stage, what does interoperability mean? Yeah, I mean, for for us, it means it's just like kind of like portable assets, portable economies, open systems that can communicate with each other. Most importantly, I think economies, like the economies of different games Mm -hmm. are connected because the assets travel and so forth. So and we think, like, when you think about economies generally, like, is it better to have an open economy or a closed economy as a country, for example? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think it's, there's a lot of data on, uh, you know, open economies mm-hmm. that trade freely with other countries tend to do better mm-hmm. than, than kind of very closed systems. You know, it's a, not a perfect uh, example, but I think it is still like shows, shows something. So if, if, like, if it would be possible to create good user experiences, with uh, open platforms and kind of lots of interoperability, Mm -hmm. then that would be, um, you know, better for sure. In theory, interoperability makes a lot of sense, right? And we've seen just like, you know, something as simple as, you know, I know from a technical standpoint, this isn't interoperability, right? But the idea of like crossover is like, everyone thinks it's cool if like all the Marvel superheroes could fight all the DC superheroes, et cetera. And, you know, when we're talking about like in the, in the space of NFTs, you know, and, and especially when it comes to gaming, you know, everyone has thought of the example, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you could bring your sword from like Zelda into like Super Smash or, you know, whatever the example is, mm-hmm. but there are challenges with that. Right. And so what are some of the challenges around interoperability? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the biggest challenge first is like the philosophy of believing that's the way and I'm willing, willing to, the willingness to experiment with it, mm-hmm. which I think is what starts happening now a little bit uh, with the whole metaverse and kind of blockchain games and everything, which is great. And then I think it's, yeah, it's the business side of, of everything. Why do I open up my world to other assets that are mm-hmm. bought in other games? You know, like, why do I do that? I want to sell stuff myself. Mm-hmm. So other people come in with other assets and like, how do I benefit? And there's like no clear way to demonstrate that without like actually experimenting it on scale, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is like, who's going to do that? And of course, like from like how we do that, for example, is whenever there's a cross game asset that gets sold as an NFT, for example, then we distribute the revenue from the sale to the games based on where these NFTs are used. Mm-hmm. So you actually get get revenue from incoming assets for allowing them in, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's like how we solve the business problem. But but how to do that on scale through all the platforms is not easy, obviously. That's like philosophy. That's uh, the business side of things. And then of course, technically, it's also challenging. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the thing like a sword, for example, is like extremely hard because. Mm-hmm. 
what if you play a racing game? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you do with the sword? Right. That's why like we limit ourselves, for example, to only like the skins that just like cosmetics basically. Mm-hmm. So no 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 guns and no assets that aside aside of that. And then that's like that makes sense. You have consistent avatar, maybe you have different versions of that for different games, but it's consist consistent across um, you know a set of experiences. But yeah, there is like it's still like making the assets compatible with all these games mm-hmm. is impossible basically, unless you have the same outer system in every game, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which we have. So that's why we can do that. You know, basically all the outer systems in the Ready Player Me network are built on our outer standards, and then you know developers can plug into that and they can use their own rigs and, and all that, and and different file formats and and stuff that we convert ourselves automatically they all use our our standard so it's easy for us to make an asset interoperable but how to make that uh, happen you know between like random outer systems random virtual worlds like the, the problem is not like a file format mm-hmm. with, that doesn't exist you know and then like people speak about like the magical outer <laughs> file format that solves up you know like it's, it's you know it's just like it's just so many things that yeah. like are just different in every game mm-hmm. um just from a technical perspective. And then it's the art, you know, making the styles fit into different aesthetics. But I think the, the most important thing to, to prove to the world is like the economy. So if you, if you can prove that the world, that the, the business side of, of build, building an open platform makes sense, then uh, everything else will be figured out. It's not easy, but it's, it's doable. But I think the problem is like, we need to see this kind of the pro- proof of concept of an open mm-hmm. open virtual world. and you know, see that it's just such a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a better business, basically. And then we'll see more, more of those. And do you currently think the technical challenges or the business challenges are more difficult to overcome? Or I guess, which do you think is a bigger obstacle to, you know, this whole interoperability dream that everyone would love to, to see come to fruition? I mean, it's definitely the business challenges. Mm-hmm. The technical solutions are not there yet, but mm-hmm. they're they're like doable. The business challenges are bigger. Yeah, and it's also like when, when we we build into interoperability, it's easier for us because like it's a, a consistent outer system across mm-hmm. many games, and the the game developers can build their own economies on those outers as well. There are like micro economies or like their closed economies, while also letting some assets in selectively and, and stuff like that. So like. We can create that easily, but then when you want to have it for the entire virtual world, without one company mm-hmm. kind of like creating this these rails, it, it's like a different level of complexity. And you know, given you said you think the business challenges are more difficult, what do you think would be the factor that you know causes or leads to some of these businesses, you know, encouraging this openness and interoperability, right? Like, I think for a lot of people, it's hard to imagine, you know, for, and I'm using just like intentionally outlandish examples, right? But like mm-hmm. uh, Mario crossover with like Crash Bandicoot, right? Like people think that mm-hmm. like can never happen, you know, or bringing assets from one, one of those worlds to another, right? And so what do you think is going to lead folks on the business side to be more open to these sorts of things? It will be great to have, good examples of that being done and mm-hmm. uh, with amazing business results. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's what it takes. Yeah. And and that, that can come from the crypto, you know, metaverses and, and crypto kind of more open gaming worlds, hopefully. So yeah, if it's a good business, 
people are willing to make trade-offs, <laughs> you know, uh, in things that they didn't know that they're willing to make trade-offs in, like putting together brands or IPs that, you know, shouldn't belong together or, or whatever. And in real world, you don't have that control, right? If you're a brand, like people can wear your clothing and they can uh, you know, commit a crime uh, <laughs> and you can't do anything about mm -hmm. it, you know, or they can take your biggest competitors, stuffed animal, <laughs> and then like... <laughs> Do whatever they want with it yeah. right so like if we want the metaverse to be also like open and free like that then it's like you know those are the trade-offs that, that would you know have to be made as well mm -hmm. like there, there will there will be less control and and people are willing to do that if it's good business mm -hmm. got it so you know shifting gears and and sort of just as a concluding question you know you've been deep in the avatar space building this stuff for many many years including you know way before people really saw how how important this stuff would be and yeah obviously things are still evolving rapidly and so looking forward you know what does ready player me look like what do you want its impact to be on sort of you know this whole evolving metaverse vision and what do you want to accomplish going forward yeah i mean i guess like the, the short shorter term goal is to show also, we can demonstrate demonstrate how interoperability is great business, right? Mm -hmm. And how that that makes a big, bigger pie for everyone to share, basically. So that is that is the goal to like attach the economy piece to uh, the the Ready Player Me network, help our developers, help our partners, you know, generate revenue, uh, and to show that this is a better way to build things, basically. And long term, you know, we are we want to be the place that that manages your digital identity. So you go into any world, you connect uh, with Ready Player Me. Uh, connect your wallet or kind of sign in with Ready for Me and, and then, you know, get, get to use any, any of the avatars and the assets you've, you've bought for your avatar across the metaverse. Default avatar system for the metaverse. Sim <laughs> it's a simple, simple thing, but it's hard to achieve. <laughs> Definitely. So I will be following your progress as you continue to, uh, to build out this vision. And I just want to say thanks for taking the time. Thank you, man. It's great. It was great to have a job with you.